God we trust, nation founded upon the word of God to a nation that I don't know even understands the word of God. We're in troubling times. And so today I believe I have a message that is very strong. Some of you will receive it and chew on it, digest it, and move on. Some of you will have a hard time with this message today. And some may even reject it altogether. But you see, God has called me to preach the word. Not social media, not what's on the headlines of the papers, but the word of God. And God has called me to be a God pleaser, not a man pleaser. And so today, with that in mind, everybody take a deep breath, put on your seatbelts. For some, it could be a bumpy ride. But I believe this is the truth of the word of God or else I wouldn't be here. And I believe every time I come to the pulpit, I've got to have something that you need to hear. Today I want to talk about a time in the word of God. It's called the minor prophets. There's nothing minor about them. It's just the fact there's less written about them than in other prophets. But I want to talk today about a man by the name Hosea. Hosea was a great prophet of the word of God in the Old Testament. And the book of Hosea is directed to Israel, but especially Ephraim. Ephraim. Because Ephraim was the heart of Israel. If you read the book of Hosea, you have to understand the first three chapters are about his domestic life. And if he were to give his resume, if there were a pastoral search at PCA Church, and Hosea put in his resume to be considered as pastor... I am sure your pastoral committee would skip right over him because he did not have the best resume to be a pastor of a church and yet he was a prophet in God's time. You see, he probably wouldn't get credentials with the Assemblies of God because I'm sure that in the interview, as they did with me, they would ask me questions about my spouse. So Hosea, who is your wife? Oh, my wife's name is Gomer. How many of you girls are glad you didn't get named Gomer, first of all? My wife's name is Gomer. Well, Hosea, tell us a little bit about Miss Gomer and how you got to meet her and how you, you know, got married. He goes, well, just want to write up front, she's a prostitute. What? Uh, yeah. Well, 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 why did you marry her? Well, because God told me to. What? God would tell a man of God to marry a prostitute. That's why we need to read this book. There's a lot of stuff in there. There's a lot of things going on. So he probably wouldn't get the pastor to most Assembly of God churches, wouldn't get credentials. But how many know that that's what, what makes you a prophet? What makes you a prophet is God calling you and anointing you and then causing you to be where he needs you to be and then speaking what God tells you to speak. After chapters 1 through 3 about his domestic life, we find in chapter 4, God starts to get real serious with his people, especially Ephraim. God begins to bring some charges against Ephraim and against Israel. And he brings three charges against them. He says, first and foremost, you've had no faithfulness to me. That's a serious thing. Second of all, you do not have love for me. Third of all, you have no acknowledgement of God in your life whatsoever. Wow. That's some serious charges from God. 
So he charges them, and then he brings some judgments against them. He says, Ephraim, Israel, here are going to be my judgments. First of all, the glory that you have will fly away. The roots of your trees will wither. They will not bear fruit, and the wombs will be barren. How many of you know that when God gets upset, it's not a good thing? Hosea chapter 9 verse 11 says this, Ephraim's glory will fly away like a bird. No birth, no pregnancy, no conception. Hosea 9.16, Ephraim is blighted, their root is withered, they yield no fruit. Even if they bear children, I will slay their cherished offspring. Wow, what happened Ephraim? What's going on? You see, God tells him in this book of Hosea, he says this. God says, I taught you how to walk, Ephraim. I healed all of your sicknesses. I treated you with kindness. I love you. I took the yoke from your necks. I bent down and I fed you. Hosea 13, 1. When Ephraim spoke, people trembled. He was exalted in Israel. But now, verse 3, Therefore they will be like the morning mist, like the early dew that disappears, like chafe swirling from a threshing floor, like smoke escaping through a window. Once Ephraim, the heart of Israel, was a powerful speaker, anointed by God, so that when he spoke, people trembled at the word of God that he spoke. But because of the the judgment, because of God's emotion toward them, he said, now Ephraim, when you speak, the glory will fly away. When you speak, it will be as if there's a mist. It will be as if the words are smoke escaping out of the windows. They will have no effect. No one will listen to them anymore. So instead of trembling at the word of God, now there's no anointing, there's no power, there's no glory. And the words simply waft away like smoke. No faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God. You see, when we look at each other and we measure each other, our spirituality, all we can measure is what we see. All we can measure is what is on the outside. And so our measurements sometimes are incomplete of each other. Sometimes we'll look at somebody else and we'll measure how much they love God, which is an intangible, how much they serve God with their faith. But we really can't measure that, can we? But God can. You see, God measures us, and when He measures us, His measurement is 100% complete. He can measure our love. Here's what Daniel 9, 4 says. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love, and those who love him keep his commandments. So God knows the depth of our love by how much we keep his commandments. He measures the immeasurable. God can measure our faith and our faithfulness to him. God measures that, and he measures it completely. In our society today, I don't know how we measure anything, do you? One day a teacher brought a rabbit into her classroom. 
One student asked, uh, is it a boy or a girl? And the teacher says, I don't know. And one student piped up and said, hey, let's vote on it. Let's just take a vote. I got to tell you, there's truth. And truth is truth, right? The rabbit is either a girl or a boy, but it's not to be voted on. Nor would the vote change the truth. If it's a girl and the whole class voted it's a boy, it doesn't change truth. Today we're having trouble distinguishing the truth in this nation. I'm not talking about other nations. I'm talking about this nation. I'm talking about Oklahoma. I'm talking about Ponca City. We today, every one of us, are struggling. We're, we're having to distinguish what is truth. Romans chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. What if some were unfaithful? Will their unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness? Not at all. Let God be true and every human being a liar. Wow. How many of you know that today there is still truth? I want to get a little bit louder amen, so I'm going to say this again. Not a trick question. How many of you know that today there's still truth? God is true. Every word he speaks is truth. Even if every human being is a liar, God is truth. Romans chapter 1 verses 18 through 32 speak truth. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and the wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. We're having troubling times like Ephraim had troubling times because Ephraim and his people had no love, no faithfulness, no acknowledgement of God. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. So this gives us the understanding that even if you are born and live an entire life in this world, and even if you are in some foreign country, some third world country, and there has never been a missionary to tell you the truth about Jesus, even nature itself, God says, has revealed enough truth for every person that has ever been born to have no excuse when they stand before God. Because I've been asked that question, haven't you? Well, what if somebody doesn't ever have the message of God and Jesus? The Word of God tells us that even creation, the bird, the sky, the trees, the, fat, the grass, all those things, everything has enough testimony. That there is a God and God is truth. So every man is without excuse. Verse 21. For although they knew God. Okay. They knew God. They neither glorified him. No acknowledgement of God. As God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Troubling times. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being the birds and animals and reptiles. So these 
They knew God. They knew truth. They had it. But they did what? Exchanged it for a lie. Verse 24. Because of that, therefore, God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurities for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Again, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created beings rather than the Creator who is forever praised. And everybody said, Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. This is not Hosea. This is the New Testament. Paul in his time, the writer of Romans, was having troubling times. Today in America, in Oklahoma... In Ponca City, we are in troubling times. Because here is the truth. You cannot change the truth. The truth is always the truth. You cannot, you can only, you cannot change truth to a lie. Can't do that. You can only exchange truth for a lie. The truth is the truth, and a lie is a lie. So today we know truth. We can't change truth. We can't change a lie to the truth. Only thing we can do is take truth and exchange it and take a lie. And that's what is happening not only in Hosea's day, not only in the Romans' day where Paul was writing to them, but in our day to day, people are taking the truth, they know truth. Deep in their hearts, we know truth. But we exchange it, we give it, and we take a lie. And then we not only take it, but we also approve of those who accept the lie. An atheist was on the street corner proclaiming that God did not exist. He was presenting an intellectual argument and he was doing really good persuading all those that had gathered around him. Until one man piped up and said, it doesn't matter what you say or who you say God is because it will not change who God is. You see, we have a lot of people saying who God is and what God does and all that, but whatever they say does not change the truth 
of who God is and what the Word of God says. People today are saying there are, these are new truths. There are no new truths. We may have new revelation of a truth, and it's new to us, but there are no new truths. The Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. John 16, 13 says this, But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into what? All truth. He will not speak on His own. He will, not speak. He will speak only what He hears, and He will tell you what is yet to come. Now, America. We know the truth. We were founded upon the Word of God. This church was founded upon the Word of God has decades and decades of history. But today, a lot of us are struggling with what is true. You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But today, we're beginning to intellectualize too many things. And we're starting to, even if we don't say it or know it, we are starting to exchange truth for lie. A minister was asked concerning the homosexual lifestyle, and here was a minister's response. There may be some areas in life that we have outgrown the Bible. Truth does not change. It is being said of traditional religion. Here's what they're saying. That we don't even know what truth is. That we ourselves are unsure of what truth is. There was a time when preachers preached and people shook. There was a time when a minister would come to the pulpit with the word of God so burning inside of him that when he pe preached, people trembled. And now today it's like words escaping like smoke out of a window. We cannot be tempted to compromise truth. Intellectualizing our faith is not enough. One church put their altars on wheels. Why? Because the preacher said, we no longer need our altars. When we don't need our altars, we are in a bad, bad place. We will be experiencing and are experiencing troubling times. All of us want to be in pleasant places. We want to worship, we want to pray, we want to attend church when it's pleasant. In other words, when it's convenient. But God brought some things against Ephraim, the very heart of Israel. And I believe if America is not careful, if Oklahoma is not careful, if PCA is not careful, God may bring some things against us. Not only as individuals, but a church. Our church must have altars. Our church must be attended when it's inconvenient. Our church must have a preacher that will get behind the pulpit and tell us the truth. And it will not be dependent upon what his popularity is, but it's dependent upon the proclamation of the gospel of truth. In God's judgment, here's what happened. In most times in the word of God, people turned from God and went their way. But in Hosea, God turns from his people. God turned. Trees withered, no fruit, barren wounds. 
When did we forget that everything comes from God? God tells them, I taught you how to walk. I fed you. I bent down and fed you. I took the yoke off your necks. I loved you. And look where you are today, Ephraim. The anointing has flown away. And you don't even know it. There was a pastor preaching at a great church. And man, the church was doing good. And the pastor, man, he loved preaching. And he thought, man, what a great job I'm doing. I'm doing a great job. Everybody in the church is saved except this one couple. One couple. One couple. They never came to the altar. They never received Jesus Christ. And this bothered the pastor. As it would any pastor. And so he prepared a message one week and he says, I guarantee this week will be the week. Because if I preach this message and they don't come to God, they will never come to God. So he got up and he preached the message with as much fervor as he could and came to the altar time and they didn't move. He left thinking, man, I guess they'll never receive Christ. A few months later, the pastor had to be gone. And so on Monday, he calls his wife. He said, hey, honey, um, how was church yesterday? And he was hoping she would say, oh, it was horrible. It was horrible without you, Pastor. It was terrible. Yeah. Here's the thing. Pastors sometimes need to be gone on Sundays, but they don't want anybody to enjoy if they're gone on Sundays. So he heard his wife say, Honey, it was incredible yesterday at church. What? Yes, you know that couple that, that, that hasn't been saved? You've been praying? He said, she said, Yesterday morning. When the preacher started preaching, they got up out of the aisle and ran down to the front and gloriously gave their hearts to God. It was incredible. Pastor, what? And she says, not only that, they came back Sunday night and they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's a revival in the church. Honey, oh, you should have been there. He was deflated devastated because he thought it all depended on him. See, nothing depends on me. It all depends on God. And if we ever think just because the pastor's here to be a good message or the pastor's gone, it's going to be horrible, shame on us. It's the person who stands behind the pulpit hopefully has a fire of God burning in their belly and a word of God to bring to you. And you need to walk in and say, God, what are you saying to me today? God, what are you wanting to change in me today? God, what are you wanting to set on fire in me today? I need to hear whatever the preacher has to say because you've laid it upon his heart or her heart. And today I need this word. Pastor realized it was okay to be gone because it didn't depend on him. Depends on God. In 1961, March 27, Charles Schaeffer wrote an article, and I want to read a, a pretty large part of it, so don't doze off and don't go somewhere else. But please give me your attention for just a few minutes. March the 27th, 1961, Charles Schaeffer wrote this article, and the title of it was, And Preach As You Go. Here's his cry. Make him a minister of the word. Well, what does that mean? What could be more esoteric? Very well, 
we will say it with more passionate bluntness, fling him into his office, tear the office sign from the door and nail on the sign, study. Take him off the mailing list. Lock him up with his books. Get him all kinds of books and, and a computer and a, well, not a, computer, a typewriter and a Bible. Slam him down on his knees before his text. Break his heart and the flippant lives of superficial flock and the holy God. Throw him into the ring to box with God until he learns how short his arms are. Engage him to wrestle with God all the night through. Let him come out only when he is bruised and beaten into being a blessing. Set a time clock on him that will imprison him with thought and writing about God for 40 hours a week. Shut his mouth forever spouting remarks to stop his tongue always tripping lightly over everything non-essential. Require him to have something to say before he dare break silence. Bend his knees in the lonesome valley. Fire him from the PTA and cancel his country club membership. Burn his eyes with weary study. Wreck his emotional poise with worry for God. And make him exchange his pious stance for a humble walk with God and man. Make him spend and be spent for the glory of God. Rip out his telephone. In other words, throw away his phone. Burn up his ecclesiastical success sheets. Refuse his glad hand. Put water in the gas tank of his car. Give him a Bible. Tie him to the pulpit and make him preach the word of the living God. Test him. Quiz him. Examine him. Humiliate him for the ignorance of things divine. Shame him for his glib comprehension of finances, batting averages, and political infighting. Laugh at his frustrate effort to play psychiatrist. Scorn his insipid morality. Refuse him supine intelligence. Ignore his broad-mindedness, which is only flat-headedness. And compel him to be a minister of the word. If he wants to be gracious, challenge him. Rather to be a product of the rough grace of God. If he dotes on being pleasing, demand that he please God and not man. If he wants to be unctuous, ask him to make sounds with a tongue on which the holy flame has rested. If he wants to be a manager, insist rather that he be a mannequin for God, a being used who illustrate the purpose and the will of God. Form a choir, raise a chant, haunt it with him day and night. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. When at long last he dares assay the pulpit, ask him if he has a word from God. If he does not, dismiss him and tell him you can read the morning paper by yourself, digest the television commentaries by yourself, think through the day's superficial problems by yourself, manage the community's myriad drives, and bless assorted baked potatoes and green beans ad infinitum better than he can. Command him not to come back until he has read and reread, written and rewritten, until he can stand up, worn and forlorn, and say, Thus saith the Lord. Break him across the board of his ill-gotten popularity, smack him hard with his own prestige, corner him with questions about God, and cover him with demands for celestial wisdom. Give him no escape until he is backed against the wall of the word. Then sit him down, listen to only what the word has come that is left, that is God's word. Let him be totally ignorant of the downstreet gossip. 
Give him a chapter in order to walk around it, camp on it, suffer with it. Come at last to speak it backwards and forwards until all he says about it rings with truth of eternity. Ask him to produce living credentials that he has been and is a true father in his own home before you allow him license to play father to all of us at church. Demand to be shown that his love is deep and strong and secure among those nearest and dearest to him before he is given contract to share that superfluity with his affability with all his sorts of conditions and purposes. Examine his manse, whether it be seminary of faith, hope and learning, and love, or a closet of fretting, doubt, dogmatism, and stemper. If it be the latter, quarantine him in it for praying, crying, and conversation, then let him go forth converted to be others converted. Mold him relentlessly into a man forever bowed before the unconcealed truth which he has labored to reveal. Let him hang flung against the destiny of an almighty God. Let his soul be stripped bare before God. Let him be lost, doomed, and done that his God alone be all in all. Let him in himself be sign and symbol that everything human is lost, that grace comes through loss. And make him the illustration that grace alone is amazing, sufficient, and redemptive. Let him be transparent to God's grace, God himself. And when he's burned out by the flaming word that coursed through him, when he is consumed at last by the fiery grace blazing through him, and when who he was privileged to translate the word of God to man, then bear him away gently, blow a muted trumpet and lay him down softly, place a two-edged sword in his coffin and raise a tomb triumphant, for he was brave soldier of the word, and ere he died, he had become a spokesman for his God. We need pastors today like that who will come to the pulpit with truth. Who will come to the pulpit burning with nothing but the word of God. We need people today in churches who are hungry for truth. That when they hear truth, they will accept it and not try to exchange it for the lies of our society. We need a church today that is so on fire for God that when we walk in and worship, the very presence of God flies in the room. That when the preacher preaches, those who don't know God, instead of running, tremble and fall on their knees again. And say, God, forgive me of my sins. You don't see it and you don't know it, but every week back here before I come out on this platform, I have a prayer that I pray. God, if there's anything in my life that's unpleasing to you, Father, forgive me. Wash me, purify me white as snow. And God, today I want to say every word that you want me to say, and I want to not say anything you do not want me to say. We are in troubling times. And we're taking votes on things that should not be voted on. 
and we are accepting lies rather than standing up for truth. We are allowing people to intellectualize God. And no matter what anybody says or thinks about God, it will not change who God is, nor will it change the Word of God. His Word will stand forever. And when we stand before Him, we will be judged by this word. And as a pastor, I do not want to stand there and have God tell me, Pastor, why were you weak in the middle of a storm? Why did you cower when you should have stood strong? Why did you avoid the topics of the day when my word needed to be preached to change the topics of the day. We need to be consumed with the Holy Spirit of God again and let Him burn up all the dross, all the wood, all the hay, and all the stubble that is coming to our lives. We need preachers not concerned about popularity, but concerned with only the proclamation of truth. We need women, children, and men who are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need the truth, and we need to ask the Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth. If we do not return to God, God will turn from us. Don't say he won't. Because Ephraim was the heart of Israel. We're in troubling times. But there have been troubling times since the beginning of time. There are no new truths. Truth is truth. Lies are lies. I will preach the truth. I must preach the truth. I am compelled by something greater than me. I remember... The very day I accepted this call into my life, when Sandy and I together made a commitment to God, I will never go to a church because of popularity or money. I will never not go to a church because of unpopularity or money. We made a commitment, God, we will always want to be where you want us to be. And right now, God wants us in Ponca City at PCA. And right now, all I can do is preach to you the truth of the Word of God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. There are not a lot of roads to God. There's only one. There's only one door. And that is Jesus Christ. But today, if we state that, then people are intellectualizing, no, you don't understand, you don't know God. Oh, I think we should know God. Because there are no excuses. God has given to us truth revealed in nature by itself is enough. But beyond that in America, we know truth. We've heard the word of God. 
We know the truth, but the problem comes in is sometimes lifestyles, sometimes ideas change in our own families, in our own settings, and we begin to question. Because all of us have that same challenge. I have it in my family, you have it in yours. And today our society is telling us we vote on genders. We vote on restrooms. We vote on sports. We vote on everything. You can vote all you want to, but it will not change the truth. My prayer is when truth is spoken, it does not go out the window like smoke, but it pierces the very depth of the heart of mankind. And we come to the place to say, am I right with Because when we stand before God, the word of God tells us he will no longer be a God of grace and mercy, but he will put on a robe of righteousness and he will be a righteous judge. I cannot imagine. I tried this week and I just can't do it. I cannot imagine standing before God and God would say to this person, I don't know you. I don't know you. The Bible says there'll be men and women there who say, but I've preached in your name. I've healed in your name. And God will say, depart, I don't know you. I want God to know you. I want God to know me. I don't want God to bring judgment against us and turn from us. I don't want God to say to us, you don't have any faithfulness. You're not faithful because if you were faithful and you loved me, you would keep my commandments. I don't want him to say you have no love for me. I do not want him to say you do not acknowledge me in your life. I want God to be able to look at us and say, I can tell you love me by the way you live. I can tell you're faithful by the way you read my word and attend my house. And I can tell that you acknowledge me in your life. You're not ashamed of me. And therefore, I am not ashamed of you. Will you stand with me today? Troubling times. All of us are being challenged right now, like never before. What is the truth? What is the truth? What is the truth about the Word of God? What is the truth about church? What is the truth? And we're all getting challenged. And I'm telling you today, some of the intellectual arguments are very smooth and very enticing. And some of them, we all want to grab on to say, oh, I want that to be true. I want it to at times. 
God never created hell for us. Never. God created hell for Satan and his angels that fell with him. God's desire is that no person, no one person would live and die and go to hell. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes would have eternal life. But you've got to believe on Jesus Christ. There's only one door and there's only one way. And today I cannot measure what is unseen. I can only measure what is seen. I can measure that you're in the house of God today and you're still here, you didn't leave. I thought maybe there may be an empty church by the time I got to this place. Because we're all challenged. We all have loved ones that have exchanged the truth for a lie. We've got to say the truth is the truth. And I can't measure the immeasurable, but God can. God sees our heart. He knows our every thought. He knows everything about you. He knows everything about me. And today, I want you to begin to allow God to look at you and measure your immeasurable to man. To measure the things that God sees. And I want us to once again reinstate the altars. They've always been in our church. And I know that with the pandemic, I think, I, well, I know this has been a way to keep people away from the house of God. It has been a way to keep people away from the altars because we have to have social distancing and all those things. And for me, praying with people. And, and Paul says it's important to lay hands on people. Touch is so important. So today, I want you to sing that song, King of Glory. I don't know what you were planning. But I want you, we've got a few minutes. I want you to do whatever you want to do. Whatever you think you need to do. If you need to kneel at your chair, kneel there. If you need to come to the front, you want to worship, you want to pray, you want to repent. I've done a lot of repenting this week. I want to stand before God and he go, hey, Dwayne, how you doing, man? And talk to you. I, just a few minutes ago, I had a dear pastor, great friend of mine, very elderly. And he was stood up, he could barely get to the pulpit, and he stood up and went to the pulpit. And that day, all the church wanted to do was take up the offering. He came up to the pulpit and he was bent over and he took up the offering and he went back down and sat over here in the pastor's chair like he'd always sat for decades. Today was his day to take up the offering and preach and after the choir got through finished singing the song, they went over and said, Pastor, it's time. His head was bowed. They thought he was praying. Pastor, it's time to preach. And during the song, he had gone to be with the Lord. I mean, that's the way I want to go. Worshiping in the house of God. I just want God to touch me today. I want us to tremble again in the presence of God.
because he is a mighty God. Today, I want us to find some moments to be with God for just a few minutes before you leave this house. Will you do that with me? You guys sing this. Yes, you do whatever you need to do. Come to the front, kneel at the chair. If you need to leave, please do it quietly because I believe this is a very holy time. I believe God's going to pour out his anointing in this house right now. We need that anointing. We need that anointing. We need that anointing. I've been preaching on it for weeks. We don't need it to fly away. God, don't let your glory fly away. Right now. Right now. Why would you wait? Why?
desire again church I've got to be with you God I've got to have a fire burning inside of me Lord don't let me come to the pulpit Lord don't let us walk into the house until we're ready to enter his gates with thanksgiving enter his courts with praise hallelujah you deserve all the glory and honor and power and praise. God, let your house be filled with the voices of your people declaring you are the King of glory. Hallelujah. That we can do nothing without you. We can't sing. We can't preach. We can't take a breath without you. God, help us today to stand. Even like the three Hebrew children, when the rest of the nation is falling and bowing their knee to other gods, God, give us the boldness, give us the wherewithal, give us the anointing of the Holy Spirit to stand when everybody else is falling. Hallelujah. I will serve God and God alone. I will bow my knee to no other gods. Hallelujah. Father, today, keep us upon a rock which shall not be moved. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God, our society is trying to move the truth gauge. God, it cannot be moved. It's the truth. Hallelujah. I see Justin and Rhonda here today. Woo! <laughs> Hallelujah! They went back to St. Jude's last weekend. Went through all kinds of tests with their son, Callan. And all the tests came back what? No cancer! Hallelujah. Come on, somebody give God praise for that. Only God. Only God. Come on. If that was your kid, come on. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. That comes about because a mom and dad cried in that room many nights, right? Woo. On that boy's bed, hand on his when he's sleeping cry and weep and God heal our baby we cannot do anything without God and preachers today are trying to preach without God 
singers today are trying to sing without God. Boards today are trying to administrate without God. Because all we're looking at is what are the finances. Should be looking at how many people are trembling. How many are trembling? Because if we can stand in the presence of an almighty God and not tremble, we're in trouble. got to get back to that place. Today, I hope this word has been a challenge to you. It's been a challenge to me. Sometimes there's times in the office Karen works with me, Pastor Karen does. I'll close my door and tell them I don't need anybody to call or anything unless it's my wife. Because I need time. So people go, what do you do all week? I do a lot. I administrate a daycare and a church. Million plus budgets. I try to deal with a lot of people's families and individuals and situations, all those things. And a staff. But there has to be time for the pastor to get just me and God. So when I come in here on Sundays, come in here on Wednesdays, I'm not giving the latest social media or the latest popular thing. I preach the word. Amen. Thank you, Lord. That's what you and I. We sure hope you were blessed by Pastor Bardwell's message. Join us anytime at PCAChurch.com and every Sunday at 2313 East Prospect in Ponca City.